Today is uh, the fifth, and here's a proverb before we jump into today's message. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. So we've been in a series, uh, we've called it Family Checkup, and it's kind of, the, the, the analogy is there, it's a, a medical analogy to poke and prod and check to see how we're doing, and today's the last one, it's been, this is our ninth message, and I suppose you're ready to move on from Old Testament families and what they did wrong. Um, I've, I've kind of really enjoyed it, I, I see a lot of my own mistakes there, and um, uh, we've been, we've, we, there's, a, there's a battle going on, I really believe that uh, there's a battle going on for you battle going on for your family and you know, for every member of your family. In fact, uh, it, Scripture tells us that sin crouches at the door and um, um, crouches at the door and wants to rule over you We've, in Genesis 4. And today we're going to talk about wrestling with God. We're going to come to a passage where, where Jacob gets into an actual wrestling match with God. It's an amazing thing. Um, and... Um, Wrestling with God, and you know when you when you, here's wrestling. Here's what wrestling with God means: when when you or someone in your family are at odds with God's purposes, and um, He wants something, but you don't want it, or somebody in your family doesn't want it. Well, what happens is because because God loves us, He moves towards us, and He begins to contend with us and, and wrestle with us so that He can have His way. That's what wrestling with God is all about. So, and I mean, what, what does that look like? When, when God wrestles with us, you know, he starts to put, a, he burdens our hearts. He, 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 he may afflict our minds or convict our will. And the re- result can be this, this immense tension and turmoil until we get on board with what the Lord is trying to do in our lives. I mean, I, if you've wrestled with God, you know what I'm talking about. I, I have a lot of experience with this. I have plenty of, of a strong will in me, and um, I think I know, you know, and I get into these wrestling matches. And here's the thing, you know, if you have been a Christian for a day or for a long time, um, you know, if you're, if, if, if you're young in the Lord, well, people will go, of course you're going to wrestle with the Lord. You've got to work things out and sort things out. The thing is that time and, and experience don't take wrestling away. In fact, if anything, I should wrestle less with the Lord, and yet I still find myself in my own petty things going on in my life wrestling, and I'm not going to tell you about them, because you'd go, what? You know, anyway, so um, don't ask Lisa either, because she doesn't need to tell you either. But, um, you know, it goes on, and, um, <laughs> and until we yield to God's purposes in our lives, or, or, or the family member around us yields to God's purpose for our life, and I, and I want you to know that um, God has an incredible purpose for your life. It's, it's really good. It's, he's got a wonderful plan, and um, he, he wants things he wants to do in you and through you, and things that he has been waiting for and dreaming about since he set his affection upon you, which was way, way, way early in the foundation, way before you were born. You know the Lord knew you before you were born, and the Lord's had plans for you. The Bible says that God wants to crown you with loving kindness, Psalm 103, and tender mercies. And it says, no good thing will he withhold from those who, who he loves and walk uprightly, Psalm 84. He wants to bless you and prosper you and fill your life with, with blessing. But we can kind of get sometimes a little bit stubborn, and we can get a little bit resolute, and, and we can get willful and um, want to do it our way and, and satisfy ourselves. So he moves towards us, and Jeremiah 29 tells us, this is kind of the setup for what's in his heart behind this whole wrestling thing. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And the problem is we don't see that when we're in, get heading into the wrestling match. We, you know, you know, 
well, maybe he's got a future for me and maybe he doesn't. But um, I'll tell you what, I'm going to see what I can get done on my own. I can just take, I can take care of this fine, just fine. And that's kind of where we can get a little willful. And in those moments, God moves in to wrestle with us. It's intentional. So if, if you're wondering why your heart is you know, burdened, your, your, your mind is maybe afflicted a little bit, or your will is under conviction, you're wondering what's happening. I'm telling you right now what's happening. <laughs> you're, you're, God is wrestling with you. He is. He's wrestling. And, and here's the thing. He's going to win. God will win that match. So today we're going to read about when God wrestled with Jacob. And um, hopefully, if we can grab a hold of this, we won't have to personally wrestle with God anymore. Wrestling with God. So here's a few points about wrestling with God. One is wrestling with God comes at a crossroads. No pun intended on the name of a church, but it comes, it comes, when, when, does, when does this wrestling match happen? It comes when, we're ha- when we happen to be at a crossroads. Okay, so Genesis 32, we'll pick this up. We've been in these passages for the last several weeks, Jacob. The, the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Sounds like a scene from Star Wars. Okay, so, so he's, he's, he's taken his family, and it says that same night... Okay, what night was that? So here's the context. I'll I'll give you kind of a broad context and get more specific. Remember, God made some promises to Abraham to bless him. And he was going to bless him in three ways. He said he's going to give him a name, he's going to give him a place, and he's going to give him a nation. You know, you're going to have a name, you're going to have a place, you're going to have a nation. You read about that in Genesis 17. And this promise passed on from Abraham to his son Isaac, and then was to move on to the next generation. And in the next generation, the firstborn was a guy named Esau. But the blessing kind of jumped past Esau to Jacob. And it didn't just kind of. It happened when um, Jacob lied and, and was conniving. And with his mother's assistance, he kind of stole the blessing from his brother and tricked his dad. And, um, and when this kind of came to light, Esau, his brother, who was thinking he was in line for the blessing got pretty ticked off, and the word says that he comforted himself with plans to kill his brother. It wasn't like, I'm going to kill you, Ralphie. It's like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. And he actually was planning how he would kill, literally kill his brother. Okay, it was the real deal. And so Jacob takes off. He runs north, and um, he leaves the place of the proclaimed blessing. He now leaves the blessing and he's gone for 20 years, 20 years. And now, the night that we're talking about here, he's on his way back. He's coming back. And um, he, he's on his way back, and he learns that um, his brother Esau is coming to meet him, and he's coming to meet him with 400 men. This brother that he stole from, this brother who wants to kill him, is coming to meet him with 400 men. <laughs> My brother's coming to kill me. He hates me. I stole the blessing. And now I'm going to get what's coming to me. And he's facing this terrible thing. So, and here's the thing. For 20 years, Jacob had run. And for 20 years, he knew this was in his history. He knew this was his doing. He knew that someday he would have to face this. And for those 20 years, I don't think he forgot his guilt. I don't think he forgot about the conniving things, the dishonest things he had done, and the consequences. It was always just kind of perched somewhere, right? It doesn't go away. It's just perched there somewhere. And uh, now 20 years later, 
He's terrified, and he's at a crossroads. And he's headed back to face Esau, and he's back to the fear of death. He's back to familiar circumstances. Eventually, God always brings us back. <laughs> That's part of the wrestling. He always brings his children back. God does that. And Jacob's coming back to the things and that, that, that somehow distance and denial had kind of shoved it under the surface. I'll just won't even think about it. Let's put it under the rug, and we'll ignore that lump. And the lump just can't be ignored forever. And um, now these things are rushing back at him, and they're coming back at him with full force. 400 men. <laughs> this poor guy. And now God has given him some time. He's given him some space. He's given him some different people. And the thing is that over those 20 years, Jacob hasn't changed. He just hasn't changed. So now God's moving in, and he's kind of turning up the heat, and he's getting ready to wrestle with Jacob. And the purpose here is to win Jacob's heart. Now, I want to clarify for you uh, what I mean by the word crossroads. I mean, it's common in our, in our uh, culture, and you know it's a place where maybe some roads intersect, and so um, maybe you meet at the crossroads next to the McDonald's or the Starbucks, or you can think of things that way. But um, I think in this context, um, I want to use a, a different understanding of what a crossroads, where the word came from. The word came from England in the 16, 1600s or 1700s. And um, so it comes from the, their road network system. So I'm going to leave this map up. This is an actual excerpt from a map from 1680 from a part of England. Where the, where the word came from, and where you can see a road system here. Now, when you see this, do not think of a ribbon of asphalt with a center strip and little reflectors and a fog line and nice gravel shoulders. Do not picture that. That's not what this is. This is barely a dirt trail. And uh, so uh, at the time that a crossroads, where that first word, the word was first, first being used, this, these, these little trails, these little roads, were nothing more than a dirt track. And in the wintertime, they turned to mud. And in the summertime, they baked rock hard. They were not easy travel anytime, ever. And the, the law was that if a roadway passed through your parish or your district where you lived, every man was required to spend six days a year to maintain the roads in their parish. I guess that was the first um, Department of Transportation was you. Anyway, so... Um, so here's the thing. Um, if you're in Chester, which is this little town in the lower left, and you want to get to Manchester, you want to go from Chester to Manchester, so you start your journey. Now, that trip is about a little under 60 miles, roughly. Today, there are lots of roads that get between Chester and Manchester. Um, and there's other towns in between where that crossroads. There's other towns that have sprung up. There's lots of roads, lots of towns. But let's say you want to go. It's a many-day walk. Many, many, many days. How long would it take you to walk on a trail, especially because you've got to carry with you your camp stove and your, you know, your chickens and whatever it is that you're going to bring with you on your journey, and you don't have a cart. You don't have the little luggage thing with the wheels and the handle that pulls out, right? It's going on your back or in a stick with a, I don't know, whatever. You've got to carry this thing to, to get from A to B, and so you're on your merry way, and it's a mess, because uh, it's mud today, and as you're walking along, you're really not too sure where the road is, and you come to the crossroads. You don't realize you're at the crossroads, and what if you make a wrong turn? And you know that it's a multi-day trip. It's 60 miles. You might, it might take you a couple weeks to get there, and maybe you're making better time than you thought, but whatever, after a couple weeks, you haven't got there yet, and then maybe a few more days, you arrive in town. But you find yourself in Preston instead 
of Manchester. Somehow you missed the turn at the crossroads. And uh, you realize, oh, there's no direct route for me to get to Manchester from here. There's uh, nothing but to turn around and go back to where I've been. I've got to retrace. I've, got to, I've, I've wasted all this time and energy. I've got to go back now to the place I came from. I've got to double back. It's a lot of waste of time. It's a lot of waste of energy. And this was literally a real problem for people that would travel if they made a mistake at a crossroads. That's when the Lord comes to wrestle. When you're at a crossroads. When, if you make the wrong term, turn, it's a long time to get back to where you need to be. And it can be difficult and painful. And, and people can be stubborn. And in fact, sometimes people will become so stubborn that turning back is so painful, they just won't do it. Now clearly, I'm not talking about roads here, right? I'm talking about our lives. And God, in his love, comes to wrestle when you are at a crossroads. He comes when you're at a turning point, this place where you've got to make a decision, where, where he comes when you've had a problem that cannot be solved. The Lord comes at a crossroads so that you don't spend 20 years away from the place of blessing that the Lord was trying to get you to back at the beginning and uh, trying to, try, somehow trying to recover and backtrack from choices that you'd made that were wrong. Isn't isn't that maybe the most loving time for the Lord to decide, hey, it's time for a wrestling match, Terry? When I'm at the crossroads so that I don't have to make that wrong trip to Preston and all of the costs and anguish of coming back? I mean, it's a, he comes to us at this critical place, at a critical moment. We might feel like, man, I'm, I've already got so much going on in my life. Now I've got to wrestle with you, God. You know, he, he, he's at this place where he's, he's, he's just had this you know, this showdown with Laban. And now he's got to go face his brother with 400 men. And now, God, you want to wrestle with me now too? Could you just take a number? You know? But isn't that really the most loving time? Where God would say, hey, I want to help you make the right choice here. So we're going to wrestle this time. I'm not just going to sit and watch you pay the price of your, con- the consequence. I'm going to wrestle with you because I'm going to get my way. I think that's, that's loving because he could be keeping us from making a decision that we, could never, that we might never recover from. Comes at a crossroads. At a t- at some, at when, when the timing is urgent. You know, when the consequences are big and w- when the des- decisions are, are, can affect people around us. It's, God moves in to settle it. So, the obvious question is, are you at a crossroads in your life today? Or is somebody in your family at a crossroads in their life? And if we don't get this right right now, it's going to take a long time to get back. Wrestling with God comes at a crossroads. The second point is, wrestling with God, you have to do it alone. This is not a team sport. Wrestling with God is something that you do alone. In the, in the text there at the river crossing, uh, verses 23 and 24, we, he took them, he's talking about his family here, he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, which was, by the way, no small deal, okay? He's, he, you know, you get to move your family across and all of the stuff, the water may be deep, but this is where the crossing is. You got to, you know, you got to get the cradle across there. You got to get the camp stove. You got to get the tent. You got to get the animals across. You especially got to get the little animals across who got to be carried across with their heads above the water and the, your little ones. You, I mean, it's a big deal to get everybody across this, the deal here. So he, he crossed them and it's a big job. And after the whole crossing process that took on here, 
I suppose his kids and family were going, hey, wait, 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 where's dad? Because he didn't come with them. He, he takes them across the street, verse 20, and Jacob was left alone. I, I'm sure the kids are thinking, hey, dad, come on. We can't do this without you. Come on. And Jacob, here he is. He's trying to get back to this place of blessing. He's facing down his brother Esau who wants to kill him. He's got, you know, these wives and their 11 kids versus 400 men. <laughs> and he's going, Mom, this, I can't do this. Now, by the way, unless you mistakenly think this, he's not being a coward here. He's not sending the wife and children, hey, hey you go face Esau, I'll show up. And that is not what happened. In fact, if you read forward into, into chapter 33, verse 3, it says that when he does go, he got out in front of the whole shooting match. Okay, so he's not being a coward. But he's got something stirring in his heart. He's got to get alone with God. God, I, I, I can't do this. I've always been the great fixer in my life. I see something and I figure out on my own, I need how to fix it and I fix things and I do that. But not this time, Lord. I can't do this. I can't do this, Lord. Life inevitably will take you to the place where well, God will put things in front of you that you cannot fix. The old way of fixing it just won't work anymore. And he's thinking, if I don't become a different person, I, I can't go forward. On, n- n- not from here. Not with this. And getting alone with God is different than getting with God with other people around. You know what I'm talking about. It's like if you, if you, you know, you, you, you're in a group. If I'm in a group and um, I'm thinking, well, okay, I'm saying these things to God, but I'm also thinking, well, you're hearing these things I'm saying to God. And, um, um, and now I'm thinking about what you're thinking about what I'm saying to God rather than you follow me. It's different when we're alone with God. It's, 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 it's a prayer that's not for public consumption. You know, it's me on my face alone with God and, and uh, I'm, I'm pouring, tearing my heart open and pouring it out and I'm just, it's private. It's personal. Psalm 62, 8 tells us to pour our hearts out before God for God is our refuge. You just don't do this with other people. You wrestle with God by yourself. And so he's walking off, you know, into the bushes. God, I can't do this. I, 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 I can't go forward anymore. I can't carry this myself. The old way doesn't work anymore, Lord. Wrestling with God is something we have to do alone. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Okay, that is a weird sentence. Right? It says, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Okay, it seems so contradictory. This is one of those verses that people who just want to pick a verse out say, see, the Bible contradicts itself. Well, you have to study out and see what's going on here. But who's this guy he's wrestling with? If you believe the Bible, if you believe the Bible, what the Bible says, do you believe what the Bible says? I believe what the Bible says, okay? If you believe what the Bible says, when the Bible says he's alone, he's alone, okay? So whoever this is, is not another person because he's alone. It's not a man here. He's in the form of a man, but the text has already said he's alone. You know, maybe it's an angel, I, um, I go off on these studying rabbit trails and sometimes I, I, you know, I read what other common commentaries say about different 
passages, and it's kind of a Bible nerd thing to do. I like to do, you know, I guess you would hope that I would like to do those things, right? Anyway, so, but I also sometimes read what non-Christians say about this. So I thought, I wonder what rabbis, what the Hebrews say. This is their scripture. What do they say about it? One of the most common things I found the Hebrew rabbis say about this is they think it was Esau's guardian angel. No sale with me. Um, that's not what their own scripture says, and we're going to come to that. I'm thinking, let your own scripture tell you, because it tells you who it is. But anyway, they, they, can't, they cannot acknowledge and say, oh, it's Jesus Christ. Who's, I'm going to tell you that's who it is, by the way. But um, anyway, so time out for a second. Now that you're back, I want you to know how good a husband you had to come up here and cover your little one. <laughs> yeah, well done. Okay, so... Sorry, I wanted to do that before, but I needed a break, and the phone call was perfect, don't you think? Okay. So, you know, they, anyway, they teach that guardian angel. I'm thinking, no sale, by the way, about angels. They're not human beings trying to wait for the next bell to ring so that they can have wings, okay? That's great for the movies, but not true, honey. I'm sorry. Clarence is not a human waiting for his wings. Um, anyway, so... Um, <laughs> Okay, so, but Hebrews 13, 2 has this verse that you ought to be aware of. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Wait, 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 what does that scripture say? It says, you've got to be careful when you, you should be careful and hospitable when you deal with strangers. You don't know because some people have entertained angels and they didn't even know it. Maybe you've had an experience like that. Um, they, 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 they come in the form of a human being, and we don't know they're an angel until they do some supernatural demonstration of something. I don't know. But anyway, but I got better proof than that of who this guy is. Okay, so here's a, here are some other proofs. In, later in the text, verse 25, this messenger ends this struggle um, by doing a miracle, which is a deity. Okay, he does this miracle. That's an act of a deity. Another one, he changes in verse 28, he, this, this, this wrestler changes Jacob's name, which um, is the prerogative of a deity. And then in verse 29, he blesses him. He gives him, and this particular blessing could only come from deity. Those are all really good. But, but the biggest proof of all, it comes in verse 28, where he f- refers him to himself as God. He tells us in the verse, you know, he says, you have wrestled with God. This wrestler is the second person of the Trinity, this is Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate. This is Jesus before the empty tomb. This is Jesus before the cross. This is Jesus before Bethlehem. Did you know that? That Jesus shows up at times in the Old Testament? The Bible tells us, describing who Jesus, the, uh, Jesus is, he's not just the baby in the manger. Colossians 1 says that Jesus, the second person, he spoke the worlds into existence. This man wrestling with Jacob is, is the very same one who called out from heaven and says, Abraham, don't touch your son because I've seen you have not withheld him from me. It's the very same person who stood in the way of Balaam and said, hold on, I'm going to resist you because your way is perverse. You can read about that in, in Numbers 22. He's the same one who met Joshua on the road and said, hey, I'm the commander of the host and, and take off your shoes. This is holy ground. 
Joshua 15. He's the same one who said to Gideon, you know, the Lord with you and your mighty men in Judges 6. This is the son of God. This is the same one that Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, wait a second. Didn't we put three men into the fire? And now I see four men walking in the fire and none of them are hurt. And the fourth one, the scripture says that Nebuchadnezzar says, he looks like the son of God. How do you know what the son of God looked like? I don't know. But the Spirit, this is Jesus Christ the Lord come to wrestle with one of his kids. And here's the thing. I believe that Jesus Christ is in this room right now. I believe he's visiting. He's not visiting. He lives here because you've come into the house. He comes with you. He doesn't stay with the building, right? When we all go home and lock up the building, the church has left the building, right? (laughs) And Jesus is not in this building when we're gone. I hope that doesn't spoil anybody's perceptions here. This is just wood and stubble, and it's all going to burn, right? But he's here. And I believe he comes and he walks these rows, and right now, and he would just want to take hold of some things in our lives and to wrestle with us about those things. He wants to take it from us, and, and he's going to win that battle. I just... And, and the day will come when you will thank him. Lord, thank you. I wasn't very nice at the time, but thank you, Lord, because, because then you'll be able to see what was plucked out of your life and the blessing that landed back in that spot. And it's the Lord himself wrestling you know, with Jacob. You know, and he comes at a crossroads. You've got to do it alone. Jacob's alone. Nobody can settle this issue for you in your life. No one can do this for you between you and God. So, okay, now the next one. Here's some good news. Wrestling with God reveals his heart. Second person of the Trinity is wrestling with you. How's that going for you? <laughs> you know, the idea that God would wrestle with me. God will wrestle with Terry. It's not just odd. It's a little bit terrifying. I mean, it is. It's just a little bit. It's kind of a shocking concept. I mean, if you know me very well, I'm got a pretty immature sense of humor. I'm, I have a hard time being serious in settings where I'm supposed to be serious. And I used to get in trouble all the time in meetings where I'd be cutting up and, you know, distracting the whole meeting. And the problem was I was the one leading the meeting and I was, you know, doing the, I mean, I really, I'm just, and, and that's how I raised my kids at home. Listen, my kids knew who dad was. They knew where the authority rested in our, in our household, but we played a lot. Practical jokes, playing on the floor and stuff that maybe this would shock you and you'd say, I would never do that with my kids. But I used to roll on the floor with my kids, with Ben. And I don't know where this came from. I'm pretty sure one of my big sisters taught me this. I only had one. Um, But, um, you know, I would wrestle with Ben on the floor and every once in a while I would grab his arm and do this to it and say, stop hitting yourself, Ben. Why are you doing that? Stop it. You're twisted if you think that's funny. Anyway, he, <laughs> he joined the club. Anyway, he, 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 and sometimes I would let him do that to me, and he would howl, and we would laugh, and ha, 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 stop hitting yourself. Do you ever do that? Oh, good, okay. So the thing is that at any time, I could have just dominated him. Right? You could. Now, as tiny and as stupid and as that analogy is, the God of the universe is wrestling with you. 
And when you wrestle with him, you learn some things about him. And it's not going to be what you think. And my heart is so blessed about the things that we learn about God when we wrestle with him. By the way, he wrestles with Jacob. Number one, he's gentle. God is really gentle. I can't believe how gentle he is. Verse 32, 24. And Jacob was left alone, and a man, who now we know is the Lord Jesus, wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Jacob will not give up. So this is going on hour after hour. Do you think God is, you know, is he stressed? Is, is God sweating? Oh man, this is not, this is pretty hard. The Lord is gentle. He could have crushed him at any moment, but he didn't because he's being gentle. Here's the thing. God does not want to force his ways upon you. He wants you to yield. He wants you to gladly resign and say, okay, he wants you to give in. And he's gentle about it. Psalm 18 You've given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand upholds me and your gentleness makes me great. Isaiah 40, I love this passage. He'll tend his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs in his arms. He'll carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. It's just such a tender picture. 2 Corinthians 10 talks all about the gentleness and the meekness of the Lord. He could at any moment power up over the top of us and crush us, but... He's just, instead, he's just so gentle. And this wrestling goes on with Jacob for hours. I mean, you know, I mean, if you ask yourself the question, how long would it really have taken for God to actually end this wrestling match? <laughs> okay? I mean, okay, so number two thing we're going to learn about him is he's patient. God is patient. Why all that patience? Why, 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 what's the reason for all this waiting? And the reason is that he's wanting to bring about, about a yielding. God is going for the gold in our lives, and he's willing to wait. He's willing to wait for it so that it really sticks. You know, Jacob, don't you see I'm God here? <laughs> you know, you got to let this go. I'm God, you're not. He's, you know, you're not going to win. I've seen all your good moves. I've countered them all, you know. But he's stubborn. He's willful. He's just determined. And, and all the while that that's going on, there is this blessing it's being deferred. It's being, it's being forfeited during that period of time where the wrestling is going on. I didn't say he's losing it. I'm saying that his blessing is being forfeited, that he could be having today. He's got to wait now till, till he gets his own heart right. And when we or, or, or somebody that we love um, are being stubborn and resisting God, we want the battle over. We do. <laughs> we look at him, we think, you know, we want it over, and the reason we want it over quickly is because we fear the outcome of where this is going to go. You know, let's get this settled right now because what if my son never comes back? Let's get this settled right now because, you know, what if my mother never forgives me? What if my, my wife decides to just walk and never, I mean, so we step in and we take hold of things ourselves. And I'm going to settle this right now, and, and we can many times just make it worse. If you can't pick the fruit, don't bruise it, right? You know, when God is cooking, keep your fingers off the heat control. <laughs> and we can't be, the problem is that we can't be patient like God because we're, we're fearful of the outcome, you know? I mean, does, does God fear the outcome? <laughs> you know? In this corner, the undisputed heavyweight Champion of the universe 
in this corner with a record of a gazillion and zero. That's God's record, right? He never loses ever. And he's going to win with you. And he's going to win with your family. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Philippians 1. Okay, third thing we learned about, about God when we wrestled with him is he is resolved. He's, he's resolved. He's resolved. The word, that word resolved means settled, determined. He's going to bring it to it. He's going to end it conclusively. That's what resolved means. And eventually he steps in and ends it. Verse, verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, what does that mean he didn't prevail? Basically it means Jacob didn't yield. It's just not ended yet. Not yet, because Jacob will not yield. <laughs> when he saw that Jacob wouldn't yield, it says, he touched his hip socket. Touch. This is a touch, right? This is a hit. This is a push, a shove. Scripture says he touched it. Okay, you got that? That's important. Touch it. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Okay. Now, just to understand, I did a little bit of studying about hips and hips being dislocated. I'm not a doctor. Everybody, go, you, everybody say, you're not a doctor. That's yeah, good. I like that tone. You're not a doctor. One more time. Come on. You're not a doctor. Now, hold your nose. You're not a doctor. <laughs> it's fun to do that in church, isn't it? I can take it. Anyway, okay, so I'm not a doctor, but, okay, to dislocate the hip, it's, 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 it's the biggest joint in the body. Done a little bit of reading, and... Um, it's, it's very, very painful, but the average adult, it's really, really difficult for you to dislocate the hip. In fact, it almost never happens. It takes an enormous amount of force. I mean, we're talking about like a car accident, okay? I mean, it can happen in a, um, maybe, maybe playing football. I mean, it's really, really difficult to do, and it's rare. What'd God do? He touched it. He touched it. It was a miracle. Jacob wouldn't yield. And the who's in charge of your life conversation is over. <laughs> it's done. And Jacob gets this devastating injury. Yes, God is tender and yes, God is patient. And, but listen, God's tenderness and his patient, patience aren't forever. God's resolved. He, he will win. The only real question that remains is, you know, how much will we suffer before he wins? That's the only question on the table really to be determined. You might think there's more, but, you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Um, Joshua 24. But the question is how long it takes them to get on with the program is really how much pain are they going to go through before they get on, the, get on board? That's hard to watch. The jailer asks, you know, there's a story in, in Acts 16, and the jailer asks Paul and Silas, you know, okay, 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 okay. He's seen some things that amazed him, that made his heart available. He says to him, what must I do to be saved? Here's their answer, Acts 16:31. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And I believe that's God's plan for my family. My whole family, everybody in my family on the kingdom team for all eternity. That's the plan. Not one of them is going to be lost. All that remains is how much suffering 
is between here and there before they yield. And so we wrestle with God for our family, and he's resolved. Okay, so here's how you will know that God's resolve ended the, the, the wrestling. Okay, you know God's resolve ended the battle when, one, when there's a sudden stop. Jacob resists, and all of a sudden, he's in pain. It's over. Done. Two, when there's extreme pain. It's not a great day when God ends, ends the struggle, right? When God finally gets to that point of touching. Why'd I have to come to this? You know, why do you have to go at this Jacob for so long? Come on. Why do you have to resist and rebel and strain and struggle, you know, against the grace that I'm wanting to give you so freely? Why? Why, Jacob? Produce your strong reasons. Touch. It's over. Okay. And the third way that you'll know that God's um, resolve ended is when there is total dependence. You know, thought I needed God a lot. Thought I needed God a whole lot. I thought I needed God, you know, no. He's all I need. He's everything to me. You know, nothing else have I desired but you, Lord. Psalm 73, nothing else. I need the Lord. I need him. I need his tenderness. I need his patience. I need his resolve. And God steps in and ends the struggle. And then number four, he's generous. God is generous. Verse 29, then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. <laughs> but he answers, why is it that you've asked my name? Okay, that's one sign that it's Jesus, right? Because almost every time in the New Testament, somebody asks him a question, what do you do? He, he, asked, he answered it with a question, right? He's doing that here. Why have you asked my name? It's like he's saying, come on, Jacob, you don't know my name? Really? You don't know who it was with wrestling with you all night and you did all your really special moves and I counted every one of them. You, you don't know who it is because I've been with you this whole time. Every time you hatched another conniving plan, every time you had another deceitful thing, I've been with you. You tell me you couldn't sense me breathing down your neck that whole time. You know, every deception, the whole time and um, now I come in and I end this battle once and for all and, and you're going to look at me and go, what's your name? <laughs> You're asking me that, you know who I am. And then notice next, he says, here's the next thing. And there he blessed him. Now that's not what I was expecting. I was expecting a lecture. You know, it's about time you came around. It's, you know, I'm sick of this rebellion, Jacob. But it was none of that. He blessed him. At the moment when he yields, even though the yielding was coerced, at that moment, God handed out blessing. You know, God is so gracious and he's compassionate. He's slow to anger and he's, he's full of loving kindness. And Jacob is this stubborn, deceitful, wicked, you know. He's laying there with a broken hip and God blesses him. You know, that's what I wanted to give you all along. That's what this wrestling has been about. You've been refusing. I love you. And God blesses him right there. He's just being generous. You know what? I, why do we put God off as we do for so long? I mean, it's because we've got some other thing in our life that we think is better than God. We've got some idol in our life. It's a person, it's, it's a sin that we won't let go of, and we think it's better than God. It's something, you know, you can have it when you pry it out of my kung fu grip. 
can't have this. But he's patient and he's gentle and he's resolved and he steps in to you know, pull our fingers off. Why is he doing that? Why is he, why is he doing that with us? Is it because he wants to take something from us? Is it because he wants to steal? Because he, he wants, you know, I want your collection of Playboy magazine. Is that what this is about? No. He's, he's, <laughs> he wants to bless. He wants to give life. He wants to fill our lives with good. 1 Timothy 6, all things richly and abundantly he's given to you in every good way to enjoy. Okay, fourth thing about wrestling with God is, um, and, uh, and that's, it changes us forever. It changes us forever. You're just not the same person you were before. And that's the good news. You're not who you were before. I'm, I'm not the person I was before, you know, and he's changing us and he changes us forever. And he doesn't make us perfect, but he makes us different. Okay, here are four ways that we're different after we've been uh, wrestled with God. One is we, we, there is a new, that we, are, we own a strong need. Something new happens in our lives and we own it. Something I couldn't see before, but now I see it. Okay, verse 26. Then he said, let, this is Jesus talking, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. <laughs> He's got this hip flopping around or whatever. I'm not letting go. And Jacob is holding on this tenderly now. He's got a death grip on the king. It's really great. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And Jesus, you know, if Jesus was as imperfect as I am, his first reaction would have been, bless you. Jacob, I thought you already had the blessing. Remember that whole thing where you swiped it and stole it from you? You've already got the blessing. You haven't needed me till now. In fact, you, haven't, you, you didn't care a whit about me, Jacob. Why now all of a sudden you, you already have the blessing? Everything you've got in life, you, you've gotten for yourselves. You've used your cheating, your lying, and your deceiving, all that kind of stuff. You know, I know, I know. I know I've made a lot of mistakes, Lord, but I'm, I'm, I'm different now, and I don't want to be that, and I'm, I want to run away from that, Lord. Wrestling with God brings you to a place where you own your own strong need for God. I need him. I need him. I need him. Can't do without it. Let me ask you, do you see the strong need in your own life for the Lord? Do you see it? Do you see the need for God's grace? Do you, do you see the need for God's forgiveness in Jesus? Maybe you need to get saved if you don't see that. You know, do you, do you see the need for God's fulfillment in your life, you know, where, where, where nothing can satisfy you except the Lord? That's what the goal of all this wrestling is. We, we see our own strong needs. Second thing is we own our own stubborn sin. And he said to him, now this is Jesus answering his question with another question, and he said to him, what is your name? And he answered, Jacob. Jesus asked, what's your name? This is a huge moment right here. Jacob may be, at this moment, may have been at the biggest crossroad of his life. This seems like a simple, polite exchange. That's not what's going on here. Most people today name their kids because they like the way the name sounds. Okay, that's just what we do. You know, I like the name Rumpelstiltskin, so I'm going to name my child Rumpelstiltskin, or Moon Unit, or Dweezel. (laughs) Those are real names. For some poor children. <laughs> we, we name them that because we like the way they sound. Brad. 
Is there anybody here named Brad? Sorry. I'm, you know, okay, so we, we pick a name that we like the way it sounds. I guess I like the name the way it sounds, Brad. Anyway, but the Bible says that your name was your identity, okay? So when Jesus is saying, what's your name? He's asking him, he's saying to him, who are you? Do you know who you are? Do you know how you got here? Do, do you own your choices? Who are you? And this moment was this very tender opportunity for real personal honesty. Do you know who you are? Do you really understand yourself? And what follows is one of the saddest moments and probably the most brilliant moments in this entire passage, I think. Because he answers, he says, I'm a liar. The name Jacob actually means supplanter. It means he cheats. You know, this is just this great moment of personal honesty. The battle's over. You kind of yielded. Can you admit who you are? Can you admit how you got here? Can, can Tell me, what's your name? He says, I'm a liar. I've always been a liar. I, I lie to get what I want. I cheat. I steal. I connive. It's who I am. I'm a liar. That's what he answered to Jesus. This honest recognition of a stubborn sin has followed him his whole life. And the appropriate <laughs> and this is a tough question for us is who are you? Who are you? Do you know who you are? Can you, can you allow the word of God to be used as a mirror in your life? Can you see who you are? You might tell you, listen, you need to know something, a little um, inside bit. When, um, when, by the time a message gets here, guess the knot hole that the Lord has pulled Terry through. Most of the time, many times, I've been really challenged by this way before this ever turned into a, a message, and I'm still being challenged, and I'm going to be challenged again tomorrow. I, I suppose that's why, at this point, I wanted to jump out of this passage and bring in front of you a, a, an important and one of my favorite texts, Romans 8, 1 and 2, there is therefore now, that, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Scripture goes on to say, for the law of the Spirit of life of Jesus Christ has made me free from the law. God wants us healed, not condemned. So when Jesus says to him, what's your name? Who are you? It's not about condemning him. It's about helping him free himself so that God's blessing can flow in so freely. This is honest recognition. Okay, once stubbornness is recognized and known, what does God do when you acknowledge a sin? Three, new identity is received. Well, yeah, you've been a liar, Jacob, but not anymore. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called cheat, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. This, this word, his name, Israel, it means, uh, it, it can be translated, God prevails or prince of God. There's, you know, he's saying, you, you no longer be called cheat, but Israel. God's given him a new name, a new identity. Listen, God would give every single one of us a new identity. Everyone, every single one of us. Do not let your sin define who you are. Don't. God doesn't see you that way. That's not who you are. You're not your failures. You're not your stumblings. You're not your addictions. You're not any of those things. God's got a plan for you and he wants to change your life and give you a new name. And all these valleys and all these struggles can be in the past when you yield to God. 
a new identity received. And then um, the last way we're changed is for our personal weakness reminds us. We stay mindful of this change. Verse 31 and 32, the sun rose again as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So you see now Jacob from this point on, he's walking forward. He's, you know, he's going along and saying, hey, dude, what's, what's with your leg? It's nothing, trust me. I mean, I could have been dead. God has given me this personal reminder to remind me every step he took for the rest of his life. Every step. I'm going to take this step, but it's not going to be without God. I am not going to do, I'm not going back to that. I'm never again, ever, ever, ever without God. And this is a big deal for the nation of Israel because, you know, they, to this day, don't eat that particular cut. In fact, um, the, the, in most restaurants, um, the filet mignon is not kosher because there are very few places that actually know how to remove that portion of the steak. Um, they consider it the sciatic nerve area part of it, and, and, they, and, and so they, they, it's not considered kosher. In fact, most kosher places don't even buy the hindquarter just because they want to be, stay so far away, and it's one of, their, one of their requirements not to eat that particular cut of meat. I mean, that's kind of gross. <laughs> Lisa says, yeah, okay, well, okay, don't eat that, you know, anyway, so, but they, but they have this little reminder, and it's not just a stupid religious thing, it's their way of saying, you know what, we can learn this without having to go through what Jacob, the mistakes he made, let's do that instead, let's remember and learn from him, and to this day, they don't eat that, that cut, wrestling with God for your family. Nothing actually will end in that wrestling match until we yield. Amen? Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for this really wonderful passage of Scripture, for the clarity of it, for the practice.